one of the most remarkable and influential churches in the world, is tucked away in the northeast corner of India, in one of the poorest states in that great nation. It's called the Mizoram Presbyterian Church, and it's famous for giving. The church was founded back at the turn of the 20th century when missionaries first went to that part of the world and began to work among the animistic tribes of people who lived there. Now, the first generation of believers there in Mizoram wanted to give something to God, but they had very little materially. And so they decided that every day they would set aside a handful of rice. As they prepared their meal, set aside a handful of rice. And then each week they would gather up that collected rice, bring it to the church. The church would collect all the rice and then sell it in order to provide income for the church to carry on its ministry and to support missionaries. Now that practice has come to be known as Bufai Tom, meaning a handful of rice. And for over a hundred years now, the believers of that church and all the churches in that part of India have been practicing Bufai Tom, bringing a handful of rice or, or some other uh, produce and giving it to the church to support the ministry. And as a result, the gospel has flourished in that part of the world. It's spread throughout the state. That church has grown. New churches have been planted. Uh, among the, that people group where none were believers 100 or so years ago, today 90% of the population in Mizoram State are followers of Jesus Christ. Now in 1914, the very first year they began practicing the handful of rice, the amount of the collected offering was a dollar and a half U.S. dollars. About 100 years later in 2012, the value of that collected offering of rice was one and a half million U.S. dollars. Today, the Mizoram Presbyterian Church has nearly 500,000 members and sends 1,800 missionaries all over the subcontinent and throughout the rest of the world. Now, there's a church that excels in the grace of giving, to borrow an expression from the Apostle Paul. Amen. And so here's this church, one of the poorest states in the nation, in that nation, that has had global impact, remarkable growth, great joy, because they discovered the joy of generosity. Now, what would happen if Grace Chapel were to become famous for giving? What if we were to excel in the grace of giving? We are right in the middle of our next series. We are thinking together about the next chapter of Grace Chapel's history, looking ahead for the next two years. And we're thinking about the next step of generosity we each might take to support that ministry. So our first message a couple of weeks ago, we took a look together at, uh, at the joy of a generous life. And then on our second Sunday, we took a look at the next couple of years of ministry and what God might be doing here at Grace. We identified two strategic priorities, reaching and raising the next generation for Christ and resourcing our campuses uh, for future growth and impact. Now, you should have received a brochure in the mail this past week that kind of outlines that a little more clearly and invites you to be part of it. If you didn't get one, you can pick one up in the lobbies uh, anywhere today on your way out. Now, certainly, there is more to generosity than just finances. There is generosity of time and talent. And we often talk about serving and volunteering here at Grace, and we certainly will do more of that as we implement this vision. But the focus of this next series is primarily on financial generosity. 
Not only because we're raising a, a, a financial foundation for the future, but more importantly, we're establishing a spiritual foundation for the future. And Jesus tells us where our heart is, our where our treasure is, our heart will be also. And so we want to get our hearts right before the Lord in this matter, and everything else can fall into place. So we promised that we would get very personal and very practical today, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to answer many of the questions that you have sent in the past couple of weeks. So I'm going to teach for about 15 minutes here and try to answer some of those questions from the Scripture, and then we're going to invite a panel of folks from Grace to come join me here, and they're going to field some of the questions as well from their personal perspective. So we're going to cover a lot of ground today. The one thing we won't talk about, you'll be happy to know, is underinflated footballs, okay? <laughs> That's off the table. So let me take you to our text for the day. It's found in Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. We're going to be looking at some selections from chapters 8 and chapter 9 today. Let's begin chapter 8, verse 7. Paul writes, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. The Corinthian church was a great church. They were known to have all the spiritual gifts in operation there. Their church was talked about far and wide. Paul commends them for their, for their, their, uh, their passion, for, for their teaching ministry, for their love for one another, all kinds of things. But there was one area in which this church had room to grow, and that was in the area of giving, of generosity. See, this letter Paul is writing, it's actually a fundraising letter. Honestly, it's not all that different than the brochure you received in the mail this past week without the four-color photos. Paul didn't have access to those. But it was a fundraising letter. Paul is raising funds for the church back in Jerusalem, the mother church, as it were. And that church was experiencing religious and financial economic persecution. And so Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, a well-resourced church, to give towards this special offering. He's not only inviting them to give, he's challenging them to give, to be generous. And one of the ways he challenges them is by comparing them to other churches. And in particular, he compares them to the generosity of the Macedonian churches, which was odd because the Macedonian churches were incredibly poor, but they had given very generously. Look at what he says. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. A little friendly competition among churches here. Well, suppose Paul were to write a fundraising letter to Grace Chapel. What might he say to us? I have a feeling he would challenge us to excel in the grace of giving. Now, I think he would affirm many of the wonderful strengths of this church, but I think he would challenge us to grow in this grace of giving. In fact, he might even compare us to other churches. Now, it happens the past couple of years, we've been working with a new auditing firm. They take a look at our books every year from an outside perspective. This particular firm happens to work with churches all across the country and many larger churches similar to grace. And so they've been offering great support to us that way, but they've also been able to give us some analysis of our financial health and generosity compared to other churches like us. 
and most of it is really good news. I mean, compared to other churches our size across the country, our balance sheet is strong, our debt ratio is low, that's good. Our organization, our budget is lean, we're not overspending on staff or facilities. And our missions giving is significantly higher, in fact, double the missions giving of most churches our size. We generally give around 20%, and most churches our size are giving around 10% a year. So if you are an investor in the ministry of Grace Chapel, you can feel good about the way your gifts are handled and the way they're being deployed for the kingdom. But there were a couple of concerns. For instance, our per-person giving is lower than per-person giving in other churches of our size. And not dramatically lower, but significantly lower than other churches like us. There's a significant group of attenders at Grace who, who really give nothing to the church in the course of a year. There's another significant group of folks at Grace Chapel who give less than $1,000 a year to the ministry of the church. Now, $1,000 could seem like a lot, but it's about 20 bucks a week, a little less than $20 a week. And, and for many of us, that's a pretty small percentage of our income. Now, we could talk about all kinds of reasons for that. Lots of Grace Chapel folks give other places, and we encourage you to do that. We live in an expensive area of the country. Everybody's situation is different. But the bottom line is that an analysis suggests that we have room to grow in the grace of giving. And even if we were to take that whole financial audit and toss it out the window, I think we'd all agree if we did a spiritual audit of our own hearts that we have room to grow in this grace of giving. And so that's a primary goal of this generosity initiative. It's not just about raising funds for two years of ministry. It's about raising the spiritual vitality of our congregation. It's a discipleship initiative about helping us become generous people, not just with our finances, but with our time and our talent, our hearts and our homes and our love. Because if we're not generous in spirit, we can never possibly realize all that God has in store for us. We're going to learn today that when we give generously, we invite God's blessing on our lives, our church, and the world. When we give generously, we invite God's blessing on our lives, our church, and the world. And so our prayer for this initiative is that every one of us would ask God what our next step of generosity might be. And you know what I love about preaching about money? I really have your attention. <laughs> you guys are dialed in right now, and I'm loving it. So, with that in mind, let's get practical, okay? How do we discern that next step? How do we know what God wants us to give? Well, Paul gives some very practical guidelines. Let's jump ahead to chapter 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Four simple guidelines for giving here in these verses. And the first is that giving is for everyone. Each of you should give, Paul says. 
Now, the Corinthian church was just as diverse as our congregation is. People of all ages, all walks of life, all socioeconomic backgrounds, including many working class people and many slaves. And yet Paul invites every believer to give. Not just because the church needs the money, but because believers need to give. For the sake of our own souls, we need to give. The people of Mizoram State in India, they're among the poorest people on the face of the earth materially. Many of them living on less than a dollar a day. But you know what the saying is among the Mizo people? As long as I have something to eat every day, I have something to give every day. Now, how simple is that? It's got to be true for us as well. Everyone. Here at Grace, our, our Kids Town Ministries, our student ministries, they're talking about generosity this month as well because giving is for everyone. Now, I'm sure we have guests and visitors here today. And aren't you glad you came today? What a great day to visit a church. Maybe Grace Chapel's not your church. Maybe you're not ready for any church to be your church yet. That's fine. We're not asking or expecting you to give. But if you call Grace Chapel your church, we're inviting you to give something, to begin this generosity journey by beginning to give. Even if it's the equivalent of a handful of rice, maybe that's all you can afford to give right now. Maybe that's all the faith you have to give right now. But give something. I talked to someone recently, and they said their first step towards a generous life was to pledge $3 a week to their church. $3 a week. And that was a long time ago. They had become incredibly generous people in every dimension of life. But their first step was $3 a week. And so for some listening today, your first step on the journey might be to become a new giver to Grace Chapel or to your church if you typically go somewhere else. In fact, we're praying that we might see hundreds of new givers uh, to and through Grace Chapel in the year 2015 because giving is for everyone. The second guideline is that giving should be intentional. Paul says, each one should give what you have decided in your heart to give. In other words, our giving should be thoughtful. It should be prayerful. Our giving shouldn't be based on how much you have in your wallet when the offering plate comes by or how you're feeling about the church these days or whether the stock market is rising or falling. Our giving should, should begin with, with reflection on all that God has given to us materially and spiritually. Take stock of those blessings. And then take stock of your finances, a careful inventory of your income and your resources and your needs and your challenges. And then let it be informed by Scripture. What does the Bible teach about giving? And then bathe the whole thing in prayer. God, what do you want me to do with all that you have given to me? So one of the goals of our initiative is to provide each of us with an opportunity to be intentional about our giving. We want to provide a moment and a mechanism for us to think about our giving to grace over the next couple of years. So this isn't like some other efforts we've done where we've focused on over and above giving to some special project. We're talking about what, what you might intend to give 
over the next two years, 2015, 2016, towards the ministry of the church. And to have that be informed by Scripture. Now, in your brochure that you received at home, or you can pick up this morning, there's, a, there's an intention card on the back. And it looks something like this. And that card gives you an opportunity to carefully think about and, and indicate, as God leads, what you intend to give to Grace Chapel in the year 2015 and the year 2016. And an opportunity to make a special gift at the beginning to help us get off to a good start. And then just let us know if you think you'll give weekly, monthly, or annually, or however you might give. I want to encourage you to sit and spend a few minutes with that card once, twice, three times. Think about it. Pray over it. Talk about it with your spouse or a friend. Set up a date night. Wouldn't that be great to talk about your intention card? Now, if you're a regular Grace Chapel giver, this week you should be receiving your year-end statement telling you how much you gave last year in 2014. That's a great starting point. Knowing that, say, Lord, what would you have me give in 2015 and in 2016? We're going to have an opportunity on February 8th, Intention Sunday, to turn in all those cards, to mark a moment and literally take our step on this journey of generosity. It's going to be a great day. So your next step on the journey might be to become a regular giver to Grace or to your church whatever that might happen to be, weekly, monthly, however. The third guideline is that giving should be proportional. Now, for this, we have to back up to chapter 8, where Paul says, Now finish the work according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. According to your means. In other words, you give as you are able financially. Your giving should be based on or indexed to what you have received from God. And that's different for everybody. There's no standard fee. There's no dues. There's no membership fee in the local church. We all have different situations. And so those who have more generally are able and willing to give more. We each have to arrive at that, taking a look at our own finances and asking God for guidance. Now, if you ask what that index or proportion should be, well, most Christians will talk about 10%, the tithe, as a benchmark. In fact, we got quite a few questions on tithing turned in the past couple of weeks. Questions like, is the tithe an actual mandate from Scripture? Why are we fixated on tithing when modern financial pressures are different from biblical times? Should I tithe on my net income or my gross income? <laughs> Very practical. Now, truth is, you'll get a variety of answers to those questions from a variety of Bible teachers. As I read the Scriptures, I find tithing commanded and practiced throughout the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. The people right away, first thing, 10% to God. When you come to the New Testament, I don't find tithing specifically commanded in the New Testament. But scholars widely agree that the early Christians continued to practice tithing, 10%, and then gave offerings on top of that. Now, if we wonder why tithing's not taught in the New Testament, well, a couple ideas come to mind. Now, for one thing, in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, our giving is motivated by love, not by laws. And more importantly, for those early believers, tithing was way too low. 
when they considered all that God had done for them in Christ, when they considered the needs of the world and the work of the kingdom, 10% was not nearly enough to give away. Now, some of us perhaps have grown up tithing from the time we were young, so it's an accepted part of our lives and doesn't feel so outrageous. If, if, you ha- if that's new to you, it can sound like a significant step. So my recommendation for believers who want to grow in this grace is to work your way towards 10%. If you gave 2 or 3% of your income last year, then step up to 5% the next year, or 7 or whatever, and work your way towards 10% at God, as God enables you. So it could be that your next step on the generosity journey is to become a proportionate giver, to begin tithing 10%, or to begin working your way towards that over a period of years. Now, as for whether or not you should tithe your net income or your gross income, again, that's a personal matter between you and the Lord. But you might want to consider the counsel of the old-time preacher who said it depends on whether you want a net blessing from God or a gross blessing (laughs) from God. It's your choice, right? Okay. Now, truth is, many seasoned believers find that 10% is just not nearly enough. They're so grateful for all that God has given to them materially and spiritually, so burdened for the needs of the world, so excited about what God is doing, so anxious to make a difference. A 10% is not enough, so they go to 12 or 15 or 20% or way more than that in their giving, what we might call abundant giving. And maybe that's your next step on this journey is to move into the abundant giving category where you blow past 10%, you leave it in the rearview mirror, and you just give abundantly as God enables you to. Our final guideline here is that giving should be cheerful. Verse 7, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, Paul's very careful in his letter to avoid manipulation or pressure. Now, he doesn't apologize for asking them to give, and he doesn't hesitate to challenge them to give because he knows it's good for their soul. But in the end, he says, if you can't give with a smile on your face, then maybe it's better not to give. Now, that doesn't mean that giving is always easy. It doesn't involve sacrifice. If you're like, like, like we are at home, sometimes you get that year-end statement telling you how much you gave last year, And you swallow hard. Wow. We could have done a lot with that money for ourselves, for our kids, for our retirement. Now, we never regret. We're always glad we gave. And typically, we'll want to give more the next year. It could be as you fill out that intention card, you're going to swallow hard. But if you can't, in the end, give with a smile on your face and in your heart, then you know what? God doesn't need your money that badly. He'd rather have you give generously, freely, as he leads you to. And so, we won't apologize for inviting you to give. We won't hesitate to challenge ourselves to give. But in the end, it is between you and and the Lord. And you arrive at a gift, at an intention that's reasonable and gracious and generous and something you can give freely before the Lord. So those are some practical guidelines for giving as we find them in this letter. Giving is for everyone. And it's intentional, it's proportional, and it's cheerful. One commentator sums it up by saying, in the end, we should arrive at a settled conviction 
about what to give. And I love that word, a settled conviction. And I'm praying that all of us, over the course of the next couple of weeks, as we pray and think and talk, will arrive at a settled conviction as to what we intend to give over the next two years with God's help, and then we'll celebrate that with a great service on February 8th. So with that in mind, let's now get a little more personal and practical. I'm going to invite our panelists to come and join me here on the platform for a few minutes. Can we welcome them as they come on up? Now, these folks are hesitant to call themselves experts on giving. They are just folks who I've come to talk with over the past couple of months, and they seem to have some wisdom and uh, willingness to share around those things, so they've agreed to answer some of the questions that you've asked. So we've received uh, quite a few questions. We can't do them all. We've tried to group them together and distill them a little bit. So uh, I'll kind of pose them, and we'll see where this all leads, okay? Uh, I'm going to let them just briefly introduce themselves each so you know who they are. Hey, good morning. I'm uh, Bill Burke. Great to be here with you this morning. Uh, my wife, Tyra, and I moved here about 10 years ago to become the executive pastor here, sort of my encore chapter. Um, before that, I was a regular guy in the church for a lot of years before that. Okay. Hi, I'm Ben Gilda. I've been coming to Grace Chapel for about five years. Uh, my wife and I met through the fire ministry, and uh, we're both still uh, actively involved in helping to lead that ministry. My name's Sandy Smith, and I grew up in this church, so I've been coming for many years. Uh, my husband and I have been married for 15, uh, and we serve in various capacities. We um, host a life community now, and we worship mostly at East Lexington these days. Good morning. My name is uh, Troy Stanfield. Uh, my wife and I have been coming to Grace, I want to say eight years now. Uh, my wife is involved on the worship team. Uh, I am a uh, proud father of uh, three kids. My son Isaiah is sitting over there grinning at me now. Um, <laughs> And uh, I'm an elder here at the church, I'm the treasurer, and I am the proud leader of one of the middle school groups as well. All right, very good, very good. Well, okay, thanks folks. Uh, um, here's our first question. Back in the 90s, Diddy, who was then called Puff Daddy, said, Mo money, mo problems. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, if you happen to be Diddy's friend, what counsel would you give? <laughs> Sorry. We got quite a charge of that question until we realized it was one of our own staff members who sent it in. <laughs> Someone who shall remain nameless, okay? Here's the first real question. <laughs> My husband has been out of work for some time. My new job and our savings cover most of our expenses for the time being. We could go another year or so before having to sell our home or move. We stopped tithing when the money stopped. Should we be tithing my salary or at all? How long do we wait? Uh, Sandy, maybe you'd get a start on that question. Sure. And that's definitely a tough and scary situation. And it reminded me of a few years ago when um, my employment situation changed and my income was cut in half. And uh, we are regular givers, we call it a tithe, uh, to Grace Chapel. And on top of that, we had just committed to um, supporting the New Day of Grace campaign. And I didn't know what to do. I really just wanted to like stop tithing, stop giving, and just hoard what I had left. But then I realized um, that I needed to, for my own sake, and also I really wanted to be faithful to what God had entrusted to me, uh, even if it was less at this point. Uh, so for us, for this situation, maybe it's not everybody's, but for us, uh, what we did, we, we chose to uh, stick with the plan that we had for the tithe and the giving to the campaign. and. Um, 
you know, through God's grace, uh, we were able to meet those commitments and, uh, you know, just again to his grace and, and he was so faithful to us. So thank you. Thank you, Sandy. And one of the, it's the wonderful thing about the grace of the New Testament, that tithing is not a law. It's a great benchmark. It's a great practice. Some folks would say tithe right through a tough season. Others find that they make adjustments during that season. Uh, it's between you and the Lord. Uh, another practical question. Um, uh, uh, Bill, maybe you'll handle this one. Does serving at church count as tithing since I'm offering my time? We've had some severe financial issues lately, and I was not able to contribute as much as I normally do money-wise. I continue my weekly serving and have asked God to show me what to do. Okay. Well, I think that's a very understandable question as people do go through various seasons. Uh, scripture calls us to lots of great spiritual disciplines for uh, our own good and the good of the kingdom. Worship, prayer, reading the, the Bible, uh, and, and giving and serving are great examples of the disciplines it, it calls us to. Uh, and they're all good for us and good for the body. And I, you know, I think of giving and serving as sort of like uh, maybe vegetables and protein. You know, they're, they're good for us, but really in different ways. And they're not meant to be interchangeable. So uh, the answer probably is no, it's not intended to work that way. However, having said that, and having just heard that our giving is to be proportional, it's quite understandable that uh, in a season when you've got perhaps less income and more time, that you might shift your, your tithing more towards the the serving side, okay. you know, based on your finances. Sounds, sounds like a reasonable answer. Thanks. Um, another practical question. Uh, Troy, maybe I'll ask you to take this one. On January 11th, the person giving their testimony said that they used three years of their retirement savings to support the capital campaign. I believe that God provides, but I think we also have to be smart about our own savings and planning for our futures. Thoughts? Well, I would say the first thought I had when I heard that was, wow, what a uh, powerful testimony. Um, you know, and then, you know, I you know, thought about my wife Kim and I and our giving and what pools of money we give from, and I thought, you know, could we be that bold? And then, to be honest, like the practical side of me said, like, what are the tax implications of that? I don't, I'm not sure how that, but, but seriously, the, uh, I think what it all calls us to do is everyone has to be prayerful and thoughtful about the pools of capital that they have and their prospects for the future. And in consultation with your spouse, in consultation with God, you gotta prayerfully consider where you're led to give from. And so you know, my overall thought on that is what a, what a powerful testimony. Okay. And again, it's interesting in the scriptures, Jesus doesn't ask everybody to do the same. Sometimes he says, sell everything you have and give to the poor, but he doesn't say that to everybody. So... It's not fair to judge any what someone does or doesn't do. We each wrestle with God individually about what he might be asking of us in a season. Okay, uh, Ben, how about if you take this next one? Uh, how should 20-somethings with significant student loan debt approach giving? What's the responsible and sacrificial way to go? I'll kind of piggyback with that. We've got another question just came in this morning. said, do we continue giving even when we are in debt? That's a great question, and I can certainly appreciate the challenge of uh, balancing finances when you've got debts you're trying to pay off, whether it's student loan debt, car debt, and all the other pressures, financial pressures that come with being in your 20s. Um, what I've come to realize, though, is that uh, when the loan gets paid off, it seems that there's another expense that's ready to take its place. And uh, for me, it's been important to continue to give faithfully 
uh, regardless of the financial circumstances, as it's a reminder to me of the blessing uh, that God has given to me. And uh, I'm the type of person that will want to control the aspects of my finances. And, uh, you know, giving is definitely a way that helps me to release that control to God. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, Sandy, here's a practical question. How would you speak to a marriage situation where one person is more inclined to give or increase their giving and the other person more reluctant or not feeling led in that direction? And what if one of the spouses is not a believer or a churchgoer? Um, Steve and I definitely um, talk about, we discuss uh, our giving to Grace Chapel just as we do with any of our major financial spending. Uh, and we talk about it when in seasons where maybe our finances change, our financial situations change, or when one of us is challenged uh, with uh, giving more somewhere or, uh, something, or to something new. Um, sometimes we agree uh, pretty much, and then sometimes we don't see eye to eye, especially maybe if the amount is a big, scary amount that, we, that is on the table. Um, we, we, com we discuss, we compromise um, in those kinds of situations. Um, one thing I have learned, which has been kind of cool in over the marriage, is that any time, uh, every now and then, that we're, um, the reluctant or the hesitant spouse may be challenged to go along with the uh, higher amount that the other one is, may be proposing. And in 15 years of marriage, really, there's never been a time that we've regretted doing that. Okay. Thanks, Sandy. I'm thinking, too, if, if you're in a situation where your spouse is not a believer or not a churchgoer, you obviously need to be sensitive to that. I don't encourage you to be sneaky. <laughs> Have the conversation, invite them to participate, and then arrive at something that's uh, reasonable for both of you. Um, uh, ben, let me come back to you with one here. Uh, they tell us that the millennial generation is very social justice-minded, but that they don't like to give to institutions and organize religion. Can you speak to that? Yeah, and I think there is truth to that statement. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, our generation uh, struggling to find its identity. And I think that social justice movements and causes give us opportunities to feel like we're a part of something that matters, that provides self-worth that we're looking for. Uh, and quite frankly, it, it can also be something that can be very public and can give us the attention that we're craving from others. Um, you know, giving faithfully is uh, not as appealing in that way. It's, um, you know, it's behind the scenes a lot of time. It's not, it's not flashy. It's not out there. Um, it doesn't necessarily give us that same sense of, of self-worth uh, that, that maybe these movements and being part of that does. So, um, but but what, I, what I think and what I believe is that the church, in particular this church, is a place where people can come and find their true identity in Christ. And there's nowhere I'd rather give than here. Okay, all right, thanks, Ben, thanks. Uh, a couple questions about giving outside the church. Um, so, uh, Sandy, maybe you can start us on this one. Uh, where does charitable giving fit into tithing? I'm a new believer, and I don't quite know how it all works together. I sponsor a child in Honduras and also give monthly to a Christian organization. Is this part of a tithe or separate? Um, for us, our first, uh, uh, where we give first is to Grace Chapel. It's our home church, and that's our first priority of giving. We call it our tithe, and um, we do that um, regularly. Um, and we do give to uh, other organizations, but we don't do it at the expense of our regular giving here. Um, but we do give to others, and um, we don't give to everything. What we do is 
we look at, um, you know, we give to a few causes that we feel uh, are helping to extend the kingdom of God and to impact the kingdom of God and be an investment in his kingdom and also some other things that we um, maybe are passionate about. And those things might change over time. Our priorities might change or our situation might change or the organization may have a different direction. Um, so, but just kind of in summary, we uh, do, there are a lot of other good causes out there and we do give to some, but our first priority and we, is, is our, our tithe and our, our gifts here at the church. Okay, and then it sounds like you kind of take a fresh look as time goes by at some of those other commitments as well. And you might we do. The, yeah, they aren't really set in stone. And as I say, we may have some new priorities or something new may come uh, on, up our way. And, and we say no when we have to. It's not, okay. We don't give everywhere. Yeah. Okay. All right, a couple more. Uh, we had some questions that came in related to the next initiatives here at church in particular. So, Bill, maybe you'll handle this one. The expansion to four campuses has taxed the staff to the max. Not more staff, just more work, which means less attention. This was not a staff member who submitted this. <laughs> As such, there seem to be a growing unmet ministry needs at Lexington. What's the vision for bolstering Lexington, the foundation of the campuses? Well, first, let me just say how much I appreciate the spirit of a question like that that really cares about the, the church and the staff and the things we're able to accomplish. And, and it is true. We, we have extended kind of our objective and our, our mission significantly in the last few years, and we haven't been able to, to grow the staff in the same proportion. And honestly, it was that pressure that sort of prompted us to revisit the idea of our, our regular giving and, and caused us to think about the idea of a next initiative like this. So this is very much a, a part of this for, for all of our campuses. As it relates to Lexington specifically, uh, you know, a couple things. One, uh, you I'm sure know that we've just named uh, Dave Ripper as our campus pastor here to be working with uh, Pastor Richard Rose. So that we do have some, some refined focus here for the next couple of years as we think about regenerating the leadership base here and engaging the community more and, and reaching out to folks around us. Uh, that's a very significant part of what we hope to do here in Lexington. Uh, another big part of Next is this, the focus on next generation. Pastor Brian has, has mentioned uh, the idea of retaining or retaining a, a senior leader to act as our pastor of next generation ministries. That's really important to us. And while that will certainly benefit all of our campuses, uh, the, the scale of children's ministry and youth ministry here in Lexington just make that extra, extra important uh, for the congregation here in Lexington. Okay, good, thanks. All right, last question, kind of a general one, and uh, Troy, maybe I'll let you finish for us, okay? Uh, someone writes, I recently completed my annual budget. To summarize, the shoes on my feet, I've bought them. The house I live in, I've bought it. The car I'm driving, I paid for it. I depend on me. But as Beyonce and I both know... It ain't easy being independent. <laughs> How can I be more financially dependent on God? Oh, yeah. The, the <laughs> you can leave Beyonce out of it. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I needed that. Um, <laughs> so it is a good question. And, and I think for my wife and I, the way that we've um, evolved over time, because you know, we've been married 19 years and we certainly didn't start here. Um, but the way we've evolved over time is... It's really about the intentionality and where we place our giving to grace, giving to God in our hierarchy. And so for us, the way we've been able to make sure we're remaining financially dependent on God is that, you know, grace is in the top slot. It's the top priority, and we start there. So off of gross income, we decide what we're going to do for Grace Chapel, um, and then everything else has to fall in line under that. And that means sometimes some other things 
have to fall by the wayside, uh, and other things we're going to have to rely on on our faith uh, and God's uh, blessings for them to happen or not happen. And so for us, that's how we've you know tried to put God in the driver's seat, and we annually sit down and prayerfully consider it and, and make sure that it's uh, sort of spirit-led and not Troy and Kim-led. Yeah. Nothing quite like putting money in the offering plate to say, I'm dependent on God. There's just that simple discipline. Can we thank our panelists for their honesty? So not easy to get up in front of a thousand or so folks and talk so practically. So let's just wrap things up. What would happen if Grace Chapel were to excel in the grace of giving? What would happen if we became famous for our generosity? You know what I think might happen? I think we'd see more and more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, our friends and neighbors and coworkers and relatives. I think we'd see many more believers strengthened in their faith and turned loose in the world to live on mission in every sector of society. I think we'd see our campuses crawling with kids, children and teenagers, and their families following behind them. I think we'd see young adults engaging with the church and some of them returning to church and taking on leadership for the future. I think we'd see our campuses thriving and growing and expanding. I think we'd find God opening new doors for new campuses in strategic locations around the city. I think we'd see our partners in ministry strengthened and encouraged and given resources to do even greater things for the kingdom. I believe we would begin to see the spiritual landscape of greater Boston transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out by churches like ours all across our city and even all across the world. And I think on top of all that, we would find that everything we need is fully met personally in our households and in our congregation as well. Now, where do I get off saying that? The Apostle Paul tells us. Listen to how he concludes this letter, this section. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I honestly believe that future generations may be thanking God for the steps of generosity you and I take over the course of these next few weeks. Imagine what would happen if every Grace Chapel person took one step towards a more generous life. When we give generously, we invite God's blessing on our lives, our church, and the world. Let's pray. We're thankful, Lord, for an opportunity to think honestly, practically, and spiritually about such an important, challenging, everyday dimension of life. We thank you that we have your word as a foundation. We thank you that we have friends in Christ to learn from and to encourage us. We're thankful that we have your Holy Spirit at work in our hearts to guide us. And we're thankful, too, for this initiative and the opportunity it provides each of us to take a step. Pray, Lord, that you might speak to each of us and all of us in the course of the next few weeks and that we might indeed become a church that excels in the grace of giving. For your glory, for the benefit of the world, and for our great joy, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.